Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Last week, we were talking about Jacob. Esau, his brother, has come to meet him with 400 men. And Jacob has separated his family into two groups, two separate groups, because he's afraid that Esau is going to come and kill them. And so he figures if I separate him in two groups, maybe this group will survive if this group is killed. And so that night he actually prays to God. He has his first real, real conversation with God where he's truly open and honest with God. And he wrestles with God and God, he has, has to kind of admit who he's been and what he's done. And God renames him Israel. And, um, and it's really like a life-changing moment uh, for Jacob, who will now be calling Israel. So when I say Israel, we're talking about Jacob, okay? But still, his brother is still on the way. Nothing's really, something's changed in the spiritual, but some, uh, the physical hasn't really changed yet. So we're going we're gonna to catch up with um, Jacob Israel in uh, Genesis 33. And it says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. So Jacob spent last night praying to God. I think we can safely assume that he was up all night, right? If you're assuming you're all going to die the next day, I doubt you get a good night's sleep, right? So we can assume he was up all night. He, he probably thought, you know, like when you're expecting something, he probably thought he heard Esau approaching numerous times through the night. You know, he's like, what was that? What was that? I heard something. That's them. That's, I know that's hooves. They're coming, right? I'm, and I'm sure Jacob wasn't like, the, like, the, let, let's just get this over with. I just wish it would come. I wish you'd just come and kill us so we could be over with it, right? I mean, he, he, he thinks he, they're going to die. So this is like, a long night uh, for Jacob. And finally, the moment comes where he sees Esau and his men coming. The moment's arrived. Like, and we know that he's already divided them up into two separate parties, so not everyone will be killed. But now he adds another element to kind of, you know, sometimes when you're like stressed out, you're like thinking and you're like, man, this will work. I'm going to do this, right? This, this is a good idea. Your desperation can, can lead you to do some silly things. Um, and so I'm sure he came up with this idea as time passed um, because nothing else is on Jacob's mind apart from saving his family all night. How do I save my family? How do I keep them alive? And so as Esau approaches, he divides his family again, putting, putting the concubines and their children up front, right? This is a lovely picture, right? And then Leah and her children next, right? And then the people he loves the most, Rachel and, and Joseph, the furthest away from death, right? So later when we come across Joseph in this like coat, it's not about the coat, right? They're not like, dad gave him that beautiful coat, right? This is kind of in there too. Like, remember when he lined us up for death and Joseph was last? That was kind of messed up a little bit, right? Um, it's a little distasteful. He's putting the people that are most important to him furthest from harm. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a stupid idea. Cause if you think about it, like, what is Esau gonna do? Like, is he gonna come with his sword and just be like, ah, 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 You know, I just, I, my arm is tired. I've killed 20 people, but 22 people is just too many people. Like, I'm just tired from it, you know? 
Uh, that happens to us all, right? When you're in a fight and you're just like going against all these guys and then you're just like, I'm tired now. I'm tired. And, that's what, and that happens to me all the time. I'm getting fights a lot. So I, I, it's kind of a, it's dumb. It's a dumb idea. It, and the worst part is it's not going to do anything, but it also is showing everyone in the family, this is the order in which I love you, right? Be like, could you stand just a little bit in front of him? Just, just a little bit. So if the sword hits, it'll, it'll hit you first, right? There's a great lesson on why you shouldn't have more than one wife. Because things like this pop up every once in a while. Um, and we have to remember, it might not, I'm going to throw him a bone here. Maybe it's not just favoritism for Rachel. We have to remember that Joseph is the youngest child, right? So it was happening even then with the youngest child, right? They were still getting, you know, maybe Joseph, we know maybe he can't defend himself as well as the others, right? Um, which, I, I mean, I don't know how that could be true because our youngest is the fiercest child of all of them. She's like, she looks sweet and quiet when she's here, but she's like, what's a word that, that I can let live forever online? Um, she's kind of a pill. Like, if I go kiss her, you know, and then this happens, this isn't just like a one-time thing. I'll kiss her and she'll be like, don't kiss me. I'm a mom. And I'm like, I kiss mom too. And she's like, not this mom. <laughs> and then like, and you're just like, and sometimes I do it and she's like, and I'm like, I know you're a mom. And she's like, I'm not a mom. I'm a monster. And you're like, that's more like it. That's more like it. You, you are. And she's like totally serious. It's not like, oh, I'm playing with dad. She's like, touch me again. Like she's crazy. Um, we, we say that. We always say, Ivy's crazy. Like even the kids, like it's not even something we, she's like, man. So like, Honestly, Joseph, you know, like he could have killed everyone and come up and Joseph's like, what? Do it. <laughs> do it. I'm the youngest, you know, and all the other kids are like, do it. Just kill him. Just, just like let him have his day, right? We all know the youngest. Everyone's got a, a younger sibling, right? And they just get away with everything, right? Um, but also we have to remember Joseph was around 17 when he was sold into slavery, which is later, right? So, so he's still a child. And the other children are adults at this point. So maybe let's just like, let's just give Israel or Jacob the benefit of the doubt and say it was because Joseph was, was also the youngest. But Jacob does redeem himself a little bit. He then places himself in front of all of them. Okay. At least there's that, right? He places himself in the greatest danger. He says, this, these, this is the order of the value that these people have to me. And I value myself least. That's how much I love them. He does love them all. And so he approaches Esau as an inferior with like a highly honored patron. This is like absolute surrender. This type of um, deference is only recorded when someone brought a plea before Pharaoh of Egypt. Like someone would only come and bow down seven times before Pharaoh. And here he is. He's coming and doing it to his brother. He's putting himself at the mercy of his brother. Could anyone just like bring it? You got to be in a bad spot where you will go do that to your sibling. And you're like, I'll just, you know, I can see a sibling being like, okay, why don't you bow down before me and I'll give you back your toy, right? Most of us would be like, keep it, right? But, but um, Izzy would just not, I would just knock him out and take the toy. But, um, but it would appear in this moment, right, where you have Israel, he's bowing down before Esau, that the prophecy, right, the prophecy was that the older would serve the younger, that Esau would serve Israel, and now when you're looking at this, it looks like the exact opposite is, has happened. He's sitting here and he's bowing before him, treating him like he's Pharaoh. 
right? The younger is, is giving deference to the older. So it looks like, oh, maybe God's prophecy will not come true. And we know that's not the case. But in this circumstance, it might have appeared that God's will might not be done. And we know when we see that, like, that's never going to happen. But um, how many times have we been in a situation like this where it appeared to us, like, this is it. God's will is not going to be done. Or, or like, this is the opposite of what God said would happen. Why is this happening? This is the complete opposite. But again, what's happening in the physical is not always what's happening in the spiritual. And before we move on to the next verse, I just want to point out, like, this particular event through the eyes of an Israelite reading this passage. Because Esau is the father of the Edomites who are there, who become their enemies, right? And so someone reading this passage in the Bible, like they're, they're Esau is the father of the Edomites. And here their forefather Israel is bowing before him seven times, right? They're like reading this and it's kind of like, it, it, it irks them. They're not going to like to read this at all. They're, they're going to hate it. And honestly, it, it's funny because you, you would seem like, you know, if they're like, hey, let's like look at the text and let's see what should stay, what should go. And you could be like, hmm, let's leave that part out. Just leave that part out. Remember that part where our forefather was like kind of humiliated before the guy that we hate? Let's, let's just take that out. But they leave it, which is, which is awesome. It just continues to show like the truthfulness and the historical accuracy of the Bible when compared to other religious texts. They just show these people uh, with honesty. They're not always these amazing heroes, right? Like that's never going to live in another book. They're going to be like, oh, take that out. Take that out. He can't look that way, right? And it would definitely rub Israelites the wrong way, but it happened. So, so they, they leave it in there. Um, and so let's see what, how Esau responds in verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I have already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. If you remember, he sent on about 550 different livestock as a gift ahead of him so that Esau would be appeased and maybe not be angry. But then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me in the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and seer. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And there he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. 
So Esau's response, if you remember, it happened in the beginning when I was reading. That's a long text. But Esau's response is nothing like Jacob had, had expected at all. In fact, it is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. Well, it looked like a minute ago the prophecy wouldn't come true because the exact opposite is happening. Here we see that when Esau comes, the exact opposite of what Israel had expected is happening. He is overjoyed to see his brother. He runs to him, he kisses him, he embraces him, and they weep together. And then he gets, gets up and he's like, who are these people? Introduce me to the family. I want, who is this guy? Who's this? Right? Who's the turd in the back? Well, that's Joseph. Right? Like, and, and then he's like, why did you send all these gifts ahead? What's that about? What, why did you send these things? And at first Esau refuses the gifts. He's like, I don't need that. I have all I could ever want. And we, and we have to, just to kind of put this in context, in like Middle Eastern custom, it's, it's, it's customary to refuse a gift. You refuse the gift. We've already seen similar interactions with Abraham and the local people. That's this just a customary interaction. It's like, oh, but I couldn't. Oh, but you must. Well, if you insist. You know, it's kind of like that. That's what's happening. And then we come to realize that Esau, all these men that Jacob thought he was bringing to kill him, he says, oh, I brought all these men. Let me accompany you. We can, we can, we can bring you safely to where you're going. We can escort you. Again, quite the opposite of what Jacob had feared would happen. And we are told that Esau has already moved into Seir, which will become Edom. It's, it's in present-day Jordan. So he's not in the promised land. He abandoned the promised land. If you remember Jacob or Israel, he's the one who got the inheritance. The promised land goes to him and Esau has already left it. He didn't stay and claim it and wait for Jacob to come and say, I'm going to fight him over it. He had already abandoned it. So there was no battle to have with Esau. It's like everything he had feared is like non-existent. The way he imagined it was going to be, the things he, he the way he knew it was going to be, none of that came to pass. And not only did none of it come to pass, it was the exact opposite of what Jacob expected to happen. Esau had already left the promised land and he'd been gone for quite some time. It can't get any better than this. Talk about total opposite of what he thought was going to happen. He has got to be overwhelmed right now with how good God is. Has that ever happened to you? We're just like expected, man. This is how it's going to go. I know this is how it's going to go. There's no possible way it could go opposite of the way I'm picturing it. And then it happens that way. And you're just like, man, God, I can't, you're so good. I cannot believe this. And so he says something kind of strange here. He says something strange. He says, for I have, when he's talking to Esau, he says, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God which is kind of strange. Have you ever heard anyone say that? I remember the first time I met Daisy, she said that to me. But she hasn't said it since. Um, but, and I was like, hey, I know. I get, I get that so often. Um, but anyway, um, it's not often that someone says that to you. No, you're never going to hear that. And, and it's kind of weird that he says that. It's like, what's he even talking about? Why, why does he tell Esau seeing his face is like seeing the face of God? Well, if we look uh, to the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son in Luke 15, if you're not familiar with it, it's a parable that Jesus tells and to describe God's love for us. And in this story, God is represented by the father. And in this story of the prodigal son, when the wayward son returns home, um, after he has spent all his money, he took his inheritance early, he went and spends it all, 
He's living in a pigsty and he's like looking at the food they're eating and he's like, man, the servants in my father's house eat better than this. I can just go back and say, hey, dad, can I just come and be a servant? And I'm not even going to ask to be his son because there's no way he would do that. I've disrespected him. I've angered him. But I could, I could, things could be better than this. So I'm going to go back and ask my father if I can just be his servant. He's been brought so low. He's been brought so low. And, and, and he's just hoping beyond hope that his dad will just accept him as a servant. And there's some parallels here because Jacob is just hoping to survive. He's not even thinking about the inheritance of the promised land. He just wants his family to survive. They're at their lowest, right? And in this parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son in Luke 15, in verse uh, in 15, verse 17, it says, and this is talking about the prodigal son, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and kissed him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him in spite of all that the son had done. And in Genesis 33, 4, it says, But Esau ran to him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. He had the same reaction. Now, when Jesus tells this story later, it is shocking. Like, we've heard the story a million times, so we're just like, yeah, the prodigal son, we know that story. But when Jesus tells us, it's shocking that the father reacts that way. Jesus always told stories that, that shocked people. They, they, they were like, the reaction of the father is very different from how they would have expected it to go. And you know why it's so different? Because they're like, that's not what I would have done if my son did that. What Jesus says is shocking. And it's the opposite of what they would have done in that culture. But the reaction of Esau is the exact same as the father. It's shocking. It is shocking. It's different than expected. And the only one who could have changed Esau's heart to bring it to this point is God himself. Because Esau's reaction is the same reaction as God's. And Esau is not a godly man. So how can Esau have the same reaction as God in a story that Jesus tells about who God is? There's no other way but that God intervened and God changed Esau's heart. And that is why Jacob says, when I look at you, when I'm looking at this situation, when I'm looking at the, at the interaction we are having, when I picture your face, compared to how I just knew your face was going to look. When I, when I see a face of forgiveness, when I see that face of acceptance, when I see your face full of joy at the sight of me, Esau's face is full of joy at the sight of me. He says, when I see your face full of brotherly love for me, I know that I know that I know that it was divinely restored. I know there's no other way. I know that no one but God could have done this thing. No one but God. And for it to be here, for it to be happening this way, 
It's better than my wildest dreams. I could not have imagined that it would be so good. And so when I look at you, when I look at this interaction, when I see your face, all I can see is God. All I can see is God. When I see your smile, I see God's smile. When I feel your arms around me, I feel God's arms around me. That is why he tells Esau, when I see your face, I see the face of God because your face, your face, there's no way, there's no way it could have looked like that when you saw me. But for God changing your heart, there's no other way. And so when he departs from his presence, it says he erects an altar and called it El Elohe Israel which means the God of Israel or the mighty God of Israel. And remember when he said so long ago at Bethel, when he encountered God, he said, if you will do these things for me, if you will do this, then you will be my God. And that's like, that, like here's that proclamation. He said, if God, if you'll do these things for me, then you will be my God. And here, all these years later, here, Israel is proclaiming it. You are you are my God. You are the God of Israel. And he's not saying you are the God of the nation of Israel. They're not there yet. He's not saying you're the God of the nation of Israel. You're saying you are my God. And he calls himself by the new name God has given him. It's like a new start. He said, you are my God. And you have to think this, this mighty encounter he had at Bethel, people dream of, right? Angels going up and down a ladder. He's just like blown away. He's like, what is this place? I've encountered God. I've seen the heavenlies called this place gate of heaven because I've just looked into heaven and had this amazing vision, right? And we're like, man, I long for those things, right? I long for a vision where I just like see the face of God, where I encounter God in a way that can't be denied, right? We want these powerful moments. And he has this powerful supernatural moment at Bethel. And still he says, well, if you'll do some more stuff, then you will be my God. If you can do some more things, right? But here, here he's seeing the face of God again. It wasn't the supernatural amazing moment he had that changed his life. It was experiencing the goodness and the faithfulness of God over a long period of time. And we as Christians can say, I wanna see something amazing happen, man. I wanna see a miracle. I wanna see something supernatural. I wanna have this amazing vision. I wanna hear from God, because that's gonna change my life. It's gonna give me the faith I need. It's gonna make me into who I am. But we've seen Jacob have that moment and leave unchanged. And the thing that changes his life, the thing that changes his world is when he comes to understand the goodness and the faithfulness of God over a long period of time. And we, as Christians, will see that, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And sometimes it looks like it's going to end up very differently than what we expected, quite the opposite of what we expected. We might say, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, this is opposite of what you said. This is not what you said. What are you, what are you doing? But where we encounter God in a mighty way is when we stick it out and we see the goodness and the faithfulness of God. How good and faithful he is even when we don't deserve it. God is moving for Jacob. He moves for Jacob. And even when Jacob is like taking positive steps, it's still not him moving things. God is doing the moving. 
If you think about it, Jacob went to great lengths. He sent all these gifts to try to secure his safety. He took actual steps. He didn't just pray. He's trying to secure his safety, his family's safety. But all those efforts proved they were pointless in light of what God did, right? Esau's like, what's all this? I didn't need all this. He might have been like, well, forget it. You know, sometimes we're like, man, I did all these things to try to make it work out. And in the end, it was fruitless. What brought the fruit was God moving. What changed Esau's face was God changing Esau's heart. It wasn't the gifts. It wasn't what I did. It was what God did. God restored this relationship. What moved things in the heavenlies, what moved Esau's heart was not the gifts. What moved his heart was the prayer from the night before. What moved Esau's heart was the prayer from the night before that Jacob prayed. It's God that causes movement in the heart of men. God causes movement in the heart of men. And you look at this relationship, this fractured relationship between these two brothers and kind of a fractured family. It led to a lot of of turmoil, a lot of sadness, right? That they sent Jacob away so far so that he wouldn't be killed by his brother. That is a fractured relationship. That is a broken relationship that many would say could not be restored ever again. And yet, God restored it. God restored it. Jacob didn't do it by his actions. God restored the relationship. And everyone in this room has a relationship that needs to be restored. We have relationships that are fractured. We have relationships that are broken beyond repair. We have relationships we've given up on. We have relationships where what we thought would happen, what we're seeing now is so opposite of that, we even wonder, God, was this even your will? Because this, I'm not seeing you in it. I'm not seeing you in it at all. If you were in it, wouldn't I see you? We have relationships that are broken like that. And maybe we've done many things Maybe we've apologized. Maybe we've brought gifts. Maybe we've done everything we could think to do to restore that relationship, to repair that relationship, to make it like it once was, and we just can't get it there. And this brokenness lasted for 20 years. And maybe you've had a relationship that's been broken for 20 years. Maybe you've had a relationship that's been broken for a few weeks. Either way, it's broken. And maybe we spend a lot of time on the gifts and a lot of time on our actions, but how much time do we spend on our knees praying that God will move in the hearts of men? Praying that God will move in our hearts, that God will move in their hearts. How, if we're really honest, how much time do we spend praying over those relationships and praying over those interactions. I've been praying a lot this week. And honestly, I'm not, I I, I forget and I don't, but I've been praying over relationships this week. I've spent more time this week praying over relationships than maybe in my life. And I expect God to do something. Okay, and I know that only he can do something. And all those relationships we have, when we think, when we look at this situation, 
I just want to encourage you instead of the actions. Your only action right now needs to be on your knees praying over that relationship and praying that God will move in your heart and the heart of the other and pray for restoration in those relationships. And I'm telling you, he's the only one that can. My prayer is when we see God move, when you see the restoration, you can look in that person's face and say, I see your face and I see the, the, the way you're looking at me and I see the change upon you and all I see is God. All I see is God. Because I know I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and nothing has worked until this. And he has done it. Now, I said before that we're going to be a praying church. I want to be a praying church. And so we're not just going to say, isn't that great? Let's work on restoration at home by ourselves. We're going to pray together over those relationships. Okay, so everyone's going to come up and say someone you've wronged. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I'm going to ask Joe to come up. Joe's going to come up and he's just going to lead us in prayer. He's not going to, he's not going to pray over us. He's going to tell us how to pray. And we're going to sit here and, and we're going to pray over those relationships. We're going to take action. It's like a lab at school, okay? We learned the lesson, now we're doing the lab, okay? Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to point out that God is doing something this morning. Um, this is an opportunity for all of us here. Nathan and I, he asked me to pray at the end of his message today. He didn't tell me anything about what you just heard. He told me that I'm going to be preaching about making amends. In other words, like um, Jacob sending the gifts to Esau. You know, that perhaps that will soften the, the meeting, right? So <clears throat> what I'm going to do, I have three scriptures um, all from the New Testament. But uh, obviously Jesus knew this story of Jacob and Esau and their, their reunite, reun their meeting up again, being reunited. reunited. I'm, uh, I'm um, stumbling over my, my words here. I'm just very excited. I, as I'm sitting here, Listening to Nathan preach, I'm just getting more and more kind of overwhelmed um, by what God is, is doing and the opportunity that you have this morning. So the three scriptures from the New Testament, obviously Jesus and Paul, two of them were from Jesus, one from Paul. They obviously knew this story, and the people that were hearing these men speak also knew this story. And now you know the story. So the first one is from Matthew. So I'm going to read this, this scripture and then give you an assignment to pray for a few moments. Okay? Here. Not go home and do this. We're going to do it here. All right. So this is Matthew 5.44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. 
and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So you're in the place of Jacob. And you have a brother, Esau, that hates you, wants to kill you. And he said so when you left, when you fled town. So think of a person that often feels like an enemy to you. Someone you would say is really kind or understanding or or holds a grudge against you. Okay? If no one really comes to mind about that, think of someone that you find irritating when you just don't like to be around. I'm sure we all have that. Okay. All right, here's your assignment. Pray for good things to come to that person, for them to feel loved and accepted. Pray blessings over them. You can think of what those might be. Something that you would like to have from God. Pray for a blessing like that for this person that's on your mind right now. Okay? And as you're praying, ask the Lord to give you the ability to look at, look at that person like he does. Someone he values, someone who's precious to him, someone he came for, that they would be restored to him. Pray blessings over a person and Pray for the ability to see them as Jesus does. Okay, we're going to move on to the next one. I just want to pray for a moment over you. Lord, we thank you that this is a safe place. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we are, our hearts are open to you, Holy Spirit, to hear from you. God, we pray that no other voices be allowed to speak at this time. Only yours, in Jesus' name, amen. The next one is Matthew 5, 23 and 24. This is from the Message Bible. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. So is there someone who comes to mind that you need to go to and make things right? Is there someone in your life that you need to go to and make things right? What kind of words and actions would be appropriate to that, to making things right? All right. So your assignment the next few minutes is to pray and ask God what words and and actions should I take to make things right with this person? Ask him what specifically? What things should I say or do to make make things right with this person? 
and he will, he will tell you. All right, so go ahead and pray. Okay, we're going to move on to our third one. All right, so back to the story of Jacob and Esau. Remember, you know, back sort of at the beginning of the, the controversy, so to speak, you know, Jacob was deceptive, stole the birthright. Then they went to Isaac, and Jacob received the blessing from Isaac, and Esau was so upset. And then division started from that point. A lot of lot of anger, a lot of deception, a lot of fighting, quarreling, all of that. You can imagine what that was like. Okay. So Paul in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, he says, or he writes, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, or quarreling, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. All right, let me read that again real quick. So verse 31 is, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be be put away from you with all malice. And then verse 32 says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And as we see in this story, uh, Nathan reminded us of the prodigal and how God is so compassionate. And remember Two or three weeks ago, he was preaching about how God is compassionate, mercy, willing to forgive. For those who repent, right? So today's an opportunity for change in your life. To turn failures into Christ's likeness by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So your assignment, we can't, we can't hide things from God, right? We can't hide what's in our heart from him. So your assignment is to pray about those areas need to change. Ask God to forgive you and to help you become a person who looks more like verse 32, the one that says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you and putting away all the the dark stuff. <laughs> the stuff that we we fall trapped to, fall prey to from time to time. All right, that's your assignment. Pray for what areas in my heart need to change so I can become someone who is kind to other people, tenderhearted, and willing to forgive. God is here. He's giving you this opportunity. 
please, please take it. Please listen. Please open your heart to him. We can't hide things from him. But he's very gentle. But he's also very honest. So be honest with him. He is the truth. He is willing to forgive. If we own it, if we admit, if we repent. Like in the story, we think something is going to be way worse than it actually is. We think God will be angry, but we know that that is not true. He's simply waiting for us. Like the father waiting for his his son to return home. And he will come running to you and wrap his arms around you and kiss you and hold you close saying, I've been waiting for this for so long. Won't you come? Sometimes we want to have control in our lives for different reasons. We've been hurt, we've been abused, we've been taken advantage of, we've been lied to. And it's hard to give up control from time to time. But we see in this story that God was moving in in the lives of these two men, Jacob and Esau. And what actually happened was completely different from what Jacob was thinking in his mind. How often do we imagine things in our minds and we go so far down a road and it gets dark? And very scary and afraid and we become afraid and it keeps us from wanting to restore relationship. Jacob could have done that. He could have fled. But he wrestled with God the night before. Are you wrestling with God? Thank you, Jesus, for this time to be together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your your power and your presence your goodness, your mercy, your closeness and love for us, more than we can ever think of or imagine. You're so good. You're always good. You always have what's best for us in mind. And you're drawing us into yourself. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.